Welcome to Blitzcast, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Welcome to Blitzcast number 86. Ed Hunt, Alex Kavtov, talking about the NFL, then getting to college football. We're, we're set. We know the four teams that are going to be playing in the college football playoff. We'll talk about Lane Kiffin, Mike Norvell. Uh, we'll talk about how Oregon upset Utah in the Pac-12 championship game. And then we'll get to a couple of prospects. We always talk about prospects on this show. We do quick scouting reports on them. We'll talk about a defensive end, Bradley Ane from Utah. And then we'll talk about offensive tackle slash offensive guard, Alex Leatherwood from Alabama. Ed, let's start with your Steelers. Uh, Mike Tomlin, you know, they've they've done an incredible job, Ed. And I got to give it to them, uh, to be honest with you. When they started the season 0-3, I thought the Steelers were done. Obviously, in the offseason, they lost... Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, they lost Ben Roethlisberger in the opening game. And we just, we knew that it was going to be an uphill battle. We, we knew the defense would have to carry the day and James Conner would have to do have another great season like James Conner had last season. But that hasn't been the case. And how are the Steelers winning? They've won eight out of the last 10 games. They're in the playoff hunt. They're the sixth seed right now, uh, sitting there pretty at eight and five. Well, you know, it's starting to look like the Blitzberg of old. I mean, they're getting edge rush pressure. I mean, it might be that they're going to get double-digit sacks from T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree. I mean, this is this is starting to look like the Steelers of old. I mean, they look great on the front four. I mean, even without Stephon Tua, Cameron Hayward has done the job. Uh, Javon Hargrave is stepping up this year. I mean, those guys, you know, Dupree and Hargrave are going to be free agents at the end of the year. And, I mean, I think they're going to get some bank. Um, and they deserve it. And uh, and so, you know, there's there's that. And Minka Fitzpatrick has played great. I mean, that's ended up being a great trade for the Steelers. I mean, generally the Steelers are pretty conservative about trades. But that ended up being a great trade for the Steelers, uh, you know, taking a risk. So I give Kevin Colbert some credit. Um you know, it seems like it seems like the scouting department, you know, just seems to find guys, you know, and they're they're not always high profile guys. I mean, you know, Devlin Hodges was a tryout guy and he, he's he's really shown at every level he's he's performed, you know. He, he they gave him a tryout, he won the tryout, he won the spot over Rogan Broback and then uh, you know, he, he, he progressed and then he was a practice squad and then he, he became the backup and then they, when he was given a chance he won. He's won every game that he started. So he's playing just a good enough football. Um, and they're running the ball. And you know what? They're getting running game the running game from guys that, you know, you wouldn't expect to be, you know, you wouldn't you didn't expect to get the running game from in the sense that guys like Kareth White, who's a late addition, you know, picked him up off a practice squad. You know, he's flashed. Benny Snell is carrying the load with James Conner down. Um, you know, Juju's been hurt and um you know, their they're receiving core is kind of a weakness, and it's going to be something they're going to have to address at the draft next year, and they love to address wide receiver at the draft. So, I mean, you can almost book it that they're going to go for a for for a wide receiver in, the, in, in you know, the second or third round. So, um, lot, lots, of, lots of positives to come from Pittsburgh. 
Bavada Sportsbook has the Steelers as the favorites on Sunday night. Uh, they're at home, and they're the favorites minus one, one and a half against the Bills, another team that's sitting in the number five seed in the AFC playoff picture. But I've been impressed with, with the Steelers. Ed. I just you mentioned it, just guys that weren't expected to carry the the heavy load in the beginning of the season have been spectacular. James Washington has emerged as kind of the go-to guy for Devlin Hodges uh, for a couple of weeks. And then last week, I saw Deontay Johnson make some plays, not only in the receiving game, but he also made that play on on special teams as well. That that kind of turned the whole game around, and I was impressed by that. So um, we thought, again, James Conner, Juju, that they were going to be the catalysts behind Steelers staying in this playoff hunt without Ben Roethlisberger, but it's been Benny Snell, it's been James Washington, Deontay Johnson, Kareth White, uh, and T.J. Watt has really stepped up. I mean, he has become the go-to guy uh, on defense. Obviously, Minka Fitzpatrick has brought a nasty demeanor to that secondary, that confidence back there. And he's been he's been a huge addition after that trade with the Miami Dolphins. But I, I, it goes back to the head coach for me, Ed. I've been I've criticized Mike Tomlin in the past because I always felt like he was a great regular season coach, but he never delivered when it mattered the most. And when it mattered the most was in the postseason. In the big games, he always fell short. But right now, he's just he's doing an incredible job. So I, I take my hat off um, for, for Mike Tomlin. Just an incredible coaching job this year, keeping that group together when th- this could have been an easy 4-12 and season. But the Steelers somehow got it together, and I'm, just, I'm amazed that Devlin Hodges is the one leading the charge. Yeah, I, I, I can't say enough about, you know, sort of, you know, Devlin Hodges. And you were, you were kind of an early... You were kind of an early fan of him, and um, you know I, I'd heard good things about him. I I didn't really watch the film on him, and you know he, he just every time I saw him, you know, in, in the Steelers camp in the preseason, he looked really confident. He was delivering the ball. He was doing what was asked of him, and you know he's not he's not he's not quite dominating yet. But I mean, I think this might be a time to think. You know, is 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 Devlin Hodges what Mason Rudolph should have been? I mean, maybe he's the guy who you keep as the backup the next couple of years, you know, when Ben gets healthy and then when Ben retires. I mean, maybe you maybe you see what you have in Devlin Hodges. I guess we'll find out, Ed. I'm sure Mason Rudolph and, and Devlin Hodges will battle it out in next year's training camp for that number two job and let the best man win. I mean, sometimes it doesn't matter which draft position, where you were drafted or, or not drafted in this case. Obviously, Devlin Hodges is on good footing right now in the Steelers organization. And if he leads them to the playoffs, that, that's going to be incredible, to be honest with you. An undrafted free agent quarterback in a wild card game, it, it would be fun to watch. Like I said, it's, but the reason why the Steelers are here is because of their defense. That defense, you and I have criticized their defense in the past. But they've really gotten it together this year, and they've played better down the stretch during this uh, this winning streak. Let's talk about another team, another team that's just playing lights out right now. It's Mike Rabel's group, uh, and the Titans are just 
on fire. They, they really are, especially what they've done the past four weeks. I realize what Mike Rabel wants to do. He wants a balanced attack. He wants to run the football, play good defense, and have his quarterback manage the game. You know what? When Ryan Tannehill took the job from Marcus Mariota, when Mariota got benched and Tannehill was inserted, inserted into the starting lineup, it's been just night and day, to be honest with you. The Titans, they haven't been tricky. They're still running the football with Derrick Henry, and Henry has rushed for over 100-plus yards in the last four games. So it's not a surprise that they have a four-game winning streak. Tannehill is using the play-action pass to his to perfection right now, and he was on fire last game. He threw for over 300-plus yards, four touchdowns, the, the man delivered when it mattered the most. So right now, the race for that sixth wild card spot is between the Steelers and the Titans. The Titans are on the outside right now. But they've got the Texans this week, and the Titans are the favorites, according to Bavada. Minus three at home against the Texans. What do you think about the Tennessee Titans? Are, is this team for real? You know, I think they're a good team, but the problem with the Tennessee Titans is that they have a tough schedule. I mean, they have to play. They have to play the the Texans twice, and then you know the, there's going to be a home and away, and after that, and then they also have to play the Saints. So it's like they don't. They 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 really they really they're they're gonna have a much tougher schedule. And granted, the Steelers, you know, they're kind of battling for that sixth seed. The Steelers don't have the easiest schedule going in in the end. You know, they're going to have to play some tougher teams. I mean, it, it'll be easy to beat the Jets, but, um, you know, they're going to have to play Baltimore and so forth. So I, I, I think, I, I, I think, you know, when you look at, you look at remaining schedules, I, I kind of like Pittsburgh over, over Tennessee. Of course you do. You're a homer. Eh? <laughs> you're, you're a homer. I mean, I, would, I, I wouldn't expect you to, to pick the Titans over the, the Steelers. I mean, that's kind of going against everything that you stand for. I mean, I didn't expect anything else. I would be very surprised if you said, hey, I'm picking the Titans because I think they have a better overall team. They've got Derrick Henry. They've got a hot Ryan Tannehill. And yeah, I just I didn't expect you to say anything else in this case. I mean... Would you pick Devlin Hodges over Ryan Tannehill or Derrick Henry over you know Benny Snell and or White? Yeah, it's <laughs> interesting. It's an interesting. I wouldn't take, take it that like far. <laughs> All right, but I mean, look, you're you're a believer in your Steelers, and you should be. Ed, it looked like a lost season, and here they are. And so I, I think, yeah, the Steelers with Mike Tomlin and all that crew, I, I do think they're the favorites. I, I don't want to jinx them. But I do think they're the favorites for that sixth seed. And who knows? I mean, if they beat the Buffalo Bills this weekend, who knows, Ed? I mean, they could sneak into that fifth seed. And Buffalo might take a step back. I mean, the Titans could still sneak in. Buffalo's got that defense. Josh Allen is still inconsistent. Up and down. I mean, one week he looks like an old pro. The next week he's looking like a guy that that should be a fourth-string quarterback on your practice squad. And so it all comes down to that offense. I don't think the Buffalo Bills have enough weapons in order for them to, to get into the playoffs. I get that they have a great defense, especially that pass defense. But the fact is, I mean, you, you need a little bit more than that. You need Josh Allen to be more consistent week in and week out. So I actually think that the Titans and the Steelers will get in. I think the Buffalo Bills will be the, the team on the outside. Wow, that's kind of a bold prediction because... 
I, I think Buffalo has been a good team, and I think they've flown under the radar this year. And, I mean, yeah, they're not doing it as much on the offensive side of the ball, but on the defensive side of the ball, they're really doing it. Oh, they're incredible on defense. They really are. And teams like this usually get in. But the Titans and the Steelers have been no slouch, especially in the, the past month of the season. I just think I would say the key game this week is the, the Steelers against the Bills. And the fact that the Steelers are at home, Ed, I, w- I would take them in that game. I, I just think the Steelers have have what it takes. They have they can get pressure on Josh Allen. I think it's going to be enough. I think he'll he'll make a couple of mistakes and and the Steelers will come out on top in in a tough Sunday night matchup. Uh, let's talk about the Broncos, Ed. Denver Broncos, a team that's been lost in this whole season. They they haven't been great. Well, I guess they just waited for Drew Locke to get healthy. They got him ready and he all the rookie quarterback out of Missouri has done is he's won the last two games. You and I talked about it off the air. I said that John Elway is going to lose his job at the end of the season because he just hasn't drafted well lately. He hasn't been able to find that quarterback. Every trade that he made for a quarterback, whether it's Case Keenum or Joe Flacco, has backfired. And I just think that John Elway was was hanging by a thread. But all of a sudden... Drew, Drew Locke is, is getting him back in there, Ed. Maybe John Elway will be able to keep his job. Yeah, I, 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 I do want to quell some of the, some of the, the I just, I, you know, I, I live in the, the Denver area and I, I talk to a lot of fans, you know, just around town and, you know, the, one of the things is they're saying, oh, you know, this Drew Locke, he's a Super Bowl worthy quarterback and, He's he's you know he's got the real strong arm and uh, you know he could really do it and I I just I I I just don't want to overreact I mean he's had a few couple of good games but I still see two things with him I see I see him being kind of erratic in his passing um, I think he can be a little bit wildly inaccurate and I think he can also be um, I think he can stare down he can stare down his receiver and I can think he can telegraph his passes and I think that leads to interceptions. So um you know, I, I if I'm the Broncos I roll with Drew Locke the rest of the way for sure. But I mean, you know, I, I I'm not even I'm not even I wouldn't even be totally shocked if Drew Locke, you know, goes to the next three games and uh the Broncos are in the market for another quarterback. Well, I guess we'll see. But right now, it's looking good for them. I mean, he looked efficient against the Chargers in his first start. Against Houston, it looked like a different quarterback, a more confident quarterback, especially in the first half. We all knew that he had a big arm. He can make the big throws. He's going to stare down those those receivers, but he can still deliver the ball into that tight window. He's got rare arm strength that not many NFL quarterbacks can... You know, he's got like a Matthew Stafford type of arm. He can sling it with the best of them. And we knew that with Drew Locke coming out. Obviously, it's it's going to be a problem moving forward. He's got to get better in terms of going through his progressions, not throwing off the back foot, you know, having better pocket awareness. But right now, it, it's looking like the Denver Broncos are absolute geniuses, right? I mean, Drew Locke fell to them in the second round. He was the third player that they picked, by the way, in that draft. It's not like they, they traded up to get Drew Locke, who it seemed like John Elway had an affection for. There were a lot of rumors leading up to the draft that the Broncos might 
draft Drew Locke in the first round. Obviously, they didn't do that. Um, they, they came out with, you know, Noah Fant, and then, you know, they in the second round, again, Drew Locke was the third player drafted. So he just fell to them. They took him, and right now it's looking good, Ed. I, I realize he's got a lot of things to work on. But the fact is, I mean, he's got a strong arm. He can compensate for it. I'm sure he's going to get better. They're going to get him ready. And, um, you know, to put 300 yards on the Houston Texans, throw three touchdowns, the one interception in the third quarter was really bad. He, he was staring down the receiver, and he threw it into double coverage. I mean, I don't know what he was thinking there. That, that, that's the tape that I saw on Drew Locke in Missouri. So it's not like he's a totally different quarterback. But the fact is, Ed, if he's going to be in the offseason working with the first team during the spring, during training camp, obviously he's going to get more in tune with Noah Fant and Cortland Sutton and Deshaun Hamilton. So we, we might see a different Drew Locke there. Obviously quarterbacks coaches in the NFL, they, they do a good job getting these guys ready. So Drew Locke has got a shot. So right now... I understand the Broncos fans. They they didn't have anything to to pray for. Their team was losing. All of a sudden, Drew Locke wins two games, and here it is. I mean, hysteria in, in the Denver area. Well, you know, one thing one thing that I'm thinking is that this is going to be a good wide receiver class this year, and I think I think what the Broncos need to add is another receiver. I mean, I think I think you know I'd like to see a day one or a day two wide receiver added to their team. It makes sense. I think they might do that. Obviously, you know, the, the receivers that they've had there, uh, Deshaun Hamilton is a slot guy. Cortland Sutton has emerged as a good receiver. I could see that happening. They've got Noah Fant at tight end. They need another pass catcher, and I'm sure they'll address it. If it's not in the first round, they'll, they'll do that on day two. Let's talk about the New England Patriots. Everybody's panicking, Ed. Now, I watched that Kansas City Chiefs game. I'm sure everybody watched it. And the Patriots should be panicking because that offense just, it doesn't look right, Ed. Yeah, you know, though, I just, I have this feeling with the Patriots. It's like, I feel like, you know, we always, we always get to this point in the season where the Patriots kind of struggle just a little bit. They're really not struggling that badly. And all of a sudden it's like people are saying, oh, the Patriots, they're done. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's. You know, the, the, you know, it's it just and and then they always seem to just you know be in the playoff picture and they always seem to kind of emerge at the end. And so, to be honest with you, I th- I think that I think that Bill Belichick has got some tricks up his sleeve, and I'm just not I'm just not counting the Patriots out of these things. I'm not saying that, Ed, but Rob Gronkowski is not walking through that door. He's not going to all of a sudden emerge in the playoffs and say. Bill, give me a jersey. I'm, I'm going back in there. I'm going to help Tom Brady out. They, look, Tom Brady just doesn't look comfortable in the pocket. A lot of it has to do with that offensive line. They're just not giving him that, that time that they usually do. And that running game is not as efficient as it has been the past couple of years. They're averaging, uh, I think, you know, like I looked up the stats right here. I'll look it up for you. They're averaging less than a yard this year than they were last year. The pass catchers, I mean, they've got Sanu, but they're so reliant on Julian Edelman. Everybody knows that they're going to Edelman when 
when it matters the most, whether it's in the fourth quarter or on third down, and they're doubling down on him. Gronkowski isn't there. Nikhil Harry hasn't made the plays. I just, I don't think they have the weapons on offense. The, the defense is great. They'll still be in the AFC Championship game. I'm just worried that th- this is not the team that we've been accustomed to uh, over the past decade. Tom Brady just doesn't look right, but I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he, he's not trusting the offensive line and he doesn't have the weapons on the outside. Well, you know, Bill Belichick is a defensive guy, and I, I think I think I, I see them playing great defense the rest of the way. So I, I think I think they're going to rely on their defense, and that's what they've really done all year. They have, they have, and the defense has been very good. Tell me about that story: the the Patriots filming the the Bengals sideline for eight minutes, and all of a sudden the Patriots organization and Bill Belichick had to give out explanations the nfl is is digging into this the explanation sounds a bit weak ed but we've heard that before from the patriots yeah i think you said it right there i mean we've heard this before you know the the patriots will weather the storm um i i i kind of am one of those believers that pretty much all teams are videotaping the other team's plays and uh you know the patriots are you know the target and so they're getting caught and so i i mean i just i i don't i don't i i you know maybe maybe it it, it sort of it sort of you know turns into something bigger and you know maybe they lose a draft pick but uh, ultimately ultimately i i think the nfl the nfl's best interest is keeping the patriots dynasty and so i i, I think i think it, i think it'll be very much a slap on the wrist for the patriots isn't it always a slap on the wrist, whether it's with Spygate or Deflategate? I, I realize that they've been punished before. The first round pick was taken away. Tom Brady was suspended. But can you imagine like another team, maybe not the Patriots, getting caught? You think the, the penalty would be a lot stiffer if it wasn't the New England Patriots? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I just... I I think it's I think it's one of those things where I think it's kind of known around the league that teams are doing it. Um, you know, teams are always looking for a competitive advantage, and um, I I I think I think it's more just I, I think it's more just one of those things where the league kind of realizes they can't really police it. Uh, the Saints uh, last week it was a shootout between the Saints and the Forty ers uh, It was just it was fun to watch. Two teams where you expected the defense to kind of rise up, and it never did. We saw the Drew Brees of old just throwing touchdowns to Michael Thomas and and finding Jared Cook. And we saw Jimmy Garoppolo arrive and just show what he's capable of doing. We saw what he did with, with George Kittle on that third and two play. Kittle made a good move, good route, and he broke what it was like a 39-yard reception, a defender grabbing at his helmet, and Kittle, like old-school tight end, you know, just rumbling down the field and, and setting up that, that game-winning field goal at the end. That was a great game, and I, I enjoyed it. Obviously, I'm a Niners fan, but it was just a good game to watch that went back and forth, and two good offenses. I didn't expect that. I thought the 49ers would be able to stop the Saints a little bit more when I picked them to win the game. And it was just, it was good to see Garoppolo in the 49ers offense when they fell, obviously, in the first half, when 
the Saints took that lead. It was nice to see the 49ers get back into it. And after that, it was kind of a back and forth game. Just a great offensive showdown. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, the way they won the game and they played the clock the right way. I mean, this is this is time to say that the Forty ers are for real. You know, this isn't just a fluke anymore, right? I mean, we're 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 we're, we're believers in the Forty ers now. No, they are. I mean, they're for real. They they really are. Uh, they've got a, a great offensive scheme. They've got guys making plays. When they added Emmanuel Sanders, it, it gave him a weapon on the outside. If Kittle is healthy, he's one of the best tight ends in the NFL. We all know what that pass defense has been able to do, even though it didn't show up against the Saints. But we know it's been good um, the, the rest of the season. That defensive line, obviously, with Nick Bosa, always in the quarterback's face. By the way, the Saints are, according to Bovada, they're minus nine at home versus the Colts. Um, so obviously, uh, the Saints got back into it, and their offense looked like the, the old self. The Rams, uh, the Rams against the Cowboys, the Rams on the road, they're minus one. This is, this is the game that the Rams and the Cowboys have to have. I mean, the Cowboys fell to six and seven. They're, they're hanging on there. It's, it's them and the Eagles. We're probably going to see a 500 team out of the NFC East get into the playoffs. The Rams need this game in order to stay with you know the Seahawks in the playoff race because the, the Rams are on the outside looking in. Who do you have in this game, the Los Angeles Rams or the Dallas Cowboys? No, I th- I think I got the Rams in this game. I think I think the Rams still have some good talent, and um, you know this is this has this has been kind of a down year for them, but they are they are still a good football team. No, they are, uh, they really are. But it's just it feels like one of those seasons. Todd Gurley got going last week, but it just feels like one of those seasons that the Rams will have a winning record. They will be like nine and seven. But this is another team that's going to miss the playoffs after losing the Super Bowl last year. It's just, you, you can't get rid of the curse. It is a curse. If you lose in the Super Bowl, there's no way you're getting into the playoffs the following season. It's just, there, there's something to it. And nobody has been able to break that for, for a while. Let's get to the Heisman Trophy finalists, said Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts. Justin Fields and Chase Young, the the four finalists in New York for the Heisman. Obviously, we know who the trophy is going to go to. Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely going to be Joe Burrow's trophy. But you know what? I give Chase Young credit. I mean, being a defensive player and being invited there, I mean that's that's quite an honor. And I think I mean he he really can be a top three pick this year. No, I think he's going to be a top two pick. And I think a quarterback goes number one. But I think whoever has that number two pick, whether it's the Giants or the Dolphins, I think they'll, they'll take Chase Young. I mean, he's that good. Here's a guy that has compiled, what, 44 total tackles, 21 tackles for loss, 16.5 sacks. Those are incredible numbers considering that he missed a couple of games because of that suspension that he had taking benefits. Can you imagine? I mean, he could have topped like 20 sacks if he didn't miss a couple of those games. He, he's been absolutely incredible. But Joe Burrow has, has been better. Obviously, he's throwing for 4,715 total yards. He's completed nearly 78% of his passes, 48 touchdowns, 6 interceptions. In the toughest conference in the SEC, Joe Burrow has 
has risen uh, above them all. So it, it should be incredible to see another Heisman Trophy winner go number one overall in the NFL draft. I'm ready to say it. Second straight week in a row. Burrow is going to go number one, Ed. Yeah, you know, I I, I guess I kind of disagree with you in the sense that I think Justin Herbert is a better prospect. I understand. I understand. There's a lot to like about Joe Burrow. If my team, you know, got Joe Burrow in the draft and they were trying to draft a quarterback, I would be very happy with him. I think I think there's really two, you know, sort of elite quarterback prospects in this draft, and I think they're going to go. I think they're going to go in the top two or three. Um, I, w- I will say I, I there are some things I like about Justin Herbert better. I think Ju- Justin Herbert, um, you know, I think he has both the arm strength and the accuracy. Um, I think Justin Herbert has done better with getting the ball out quickly. Um, I think he's been effective. I think he's a four-year starter. I think he's polished. I think he's a good student. I think he's um, – I, th- I think he's going to check a lot of boxes for a lot of teams. And, um, you know, you know, I mean, he has won some games, you know, with, with a lesser team. I mean, he doesn't have as much talent around him as Joe Burrow. And I think he's, you know, he's still won the Pac-12. So, um, you know, Justin Herbert, Justin Herbert maybe isn't as big of a winner as Joe Burrow this season. But I, I would say Justin Herbert, you know, has won with what he has around him. No, I give him credit. Oregon beat utah but they didn't beat utah because justin herbert played great football they won because they were able to run the football on one of the best rushing defenses in utah oregon was just pounding the football especially in the second half and that defense rose to the challenge it was able to intercept tyler huntley a couple of times so the defense and the running game won that game i was actually disappointed in Justin Herbert. He did enough to win, but he looked like a game manager during that game. He didn't look like a number one overall prospect. With all due respect, I expected something more. I expected Oregon to put the ball in Justin Herbert's hands and win it. That's not what happened. He was mediocre during that game, and I'm not afraid to say it. I watched it, Ed, and there were a couple of throws, especially in the red zone, that he got away with. Trusting that arm, kind of the same thing that Drew Locke does. Trusting that arm, trying to fit the ball into the tight spot. If Utah would have been more opportunistic, they would have come up with a couple of interceptions because they were throwing right in the vicinity of those defenders. Yeah, I I I I, I understand that. You know, he he hasn't had like as as great of a as great of a season season as far as like winning games and stuff like that i think i think he should have come out a year earlier but i mean this guy this guy's kind of proven and checked a lot of the boxes um you know i i i don't think he i don't think it was a good idea for him to come back for his for his uh senior year i think he should have just come out you know probably could have been like the number one pick in the previous draft and um you know i think i think he 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 could you know really start more developing I didn't think he really developed as much this year as uh, as you know he could have. So I mean that is that is a little bit of a weakness in his in his draft resume. It's amazing how we're talking about Burrow and Justin Herbert, and Tua is nowhere in this conversation. Obviously, we're still waiting for his decision, but I'm sure he's going to enter the draft. And it's amazing with the injury, Tua kind of took a, a back seat a little bit. He should be in the conversation as well. I mean, this is. A three-man race. 
It just depends how healthy he's going to be coming back from that injury. But Tua is right in this as well. So it's not only about Justin Herbert and, and Joe Burrow. Just wanted to mention that, Ed. I don't want our listeners to say, hey, we're, we're hating on Tua and Alabama here. Well, I, I, I think the, the news is better than what I thought it was. I remember watching college football all day, and you know, one of the, one of, there was sort of a, something going around Twitter where they were saying how Tua you know, could, have, could have a career-ending injury. It was the, the injury he had was the same injury that ended Bo Jackson's career. And so, um, you know, I, I sort of, I sort, it, it, he sort of fell off my radar there. But it sounded like they airlifted him, and you know, he was going to make a full recovery. And you know, I, I think he, I think he can come back. And I, but I, I just think, I just think, you know, going into the draft, it's a little bit of a risk to take Tua just because of the injury issues. True, and that that's definitely going to be debated out there, and we'll we'll stay tuned. Obviously, there. Are, Plenty of teams that that need quarterbacks, especially at the top of the draft. Let's talk about the four teams that made it to the college football playoff. And we're all going to be watching at the end of December when those two uh, semifinal games occur. Uh, The first game is LSU at number one versus number four, Oklahoma. And the Sooners were lucky to to come out with the win. They beat Baylor in overtime in in the Big 12 championship game. So Jalen Hurts, a guy who's been there before with Alabama as a starting quarterback, as a backup, going against LSU and that explosive offense and Joe Burrow. Without getting into details about it, because we'll preview the game, but I wanted to get your take on this game. Um, You... LSU is obviously going to be the favorite. Do you think it's going to be a close game here? Yeah, I, I, I do. I do think it, it'll be a close game because I mean Oklahoma. Oklahoma is a good team, um, but I, I don't. I don't think. Uh, I don't think. I don't think Oklahoma's defense uh, can keep up with LSU's offense, and I think that's the difference in the game. The second game is number two, Ohio State Buckeyes versus last year's national championship team and winner, um, the, the Clemson Tigers, who are sitting at number three. This is going to be even more exciting. Ed. Justin Fields against Trevor Lawrence. Clemson has a lot of firepower. We, we saw that T. Higgins coming up with, with three touchdown receptions. So Clemson is peaking at the right time. You and I talked about it last week. Yeah, I, I I like I like Clemson, and I think they've kind of been good did a good job of being kind of under the radar this year. But to be honest with you, I, I I'm actually going to pick Clemson in this game against Ohio State. I'm also picking Clemson, Ed. I think there's something to be said. Uh, they're the national champions, and they've been there before. And if you look at their squad, a lot of the guys that they had last year are, are back especially with that offense. You still have Travis Etienne, Trevor Lawrence. You've got guys on the outside, um, Justin Ross and T. Higgins. And I think this is the best Clemson offensive line that I've seen. They're actually better than they were last year. So I'm picking the Clemson Tigers as well right now. They're my early favorites to to get back to the national championship game against LSU. I do think it's going to be LSU against Clemson. Yeah, I, I mean, Ed, let's talk. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
Well, I was just gonna say, Go I was just gonna say, you know, a big a big X factor in all this is, uh, you know, what's gonna happen with with Trevor Lawrence. I mean, is he gonna is he gonna emerge and do what he did last year, or I mean, as has he kind of, you know, is he still kind of in his sophomore slump? I think that's gonna be a big storyline to watch in this college football playoff. Well, he's been playing a lot better in the second half of the season. It looks like the the same Trevor Lawrence that we saw at the end of the season in the college football playoff last year. Let's talk about a couple of head coaches that were already hired on the college football scene. Uh, Let's start with the big news, FSU. Florida State fired Willie Taggart. It was rumored that they were going after some big names. And I heard Bob Stoops. James Franklin. So they, they really did attack some some bigger names out there. But it seems like those names said no for, for different reasons. I even heard Brian Kelly's name being mentioned from Notre Dame. Obviously, those head coaches decided not to take the FSU job. But a head coach from Memphis did. His name is Mike Norvell. And I'm, I, I love this hiring. And an offensive-minded coach... Uh, that built Memphis into a powerhouse the last four years and the things that he was able to accomplish there. Um, the future is bright in, in Tallahassee. Yeah, this is this is exactly what they needed. I mean, after Willie Taggart, I mean, was a total disaster. I mean, that was the, the you know, that was, I, 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 I really, I couldn't have seen how bad, uh, you know, Willie Taggart was going to be in, in, in uh, Tallahassee, but uh, this is the, I, I think this is this is a, a good young you know up and coming coach who really you know could bring this team back to being what FSU is supposed to be. Well, he's gonna bring excitement to the Florida recruiting scene because of what he did at Memphis. You know, guys would want to go there. They would want to play for Mike Norvell because he's just he's an offensive genius out there, and he's gonna be able to bring recruits. He's 38 years old. He's a young guy. He's very passionate. And it seems like this is the job that he wanted to to prove that he can hang with the big boys. Let's talk about Lane Kiffin. Uh, Lane Kiffin got a job with another SEC school. It's not the first time he did that. He spent a year at Tennessee before moving on to USC. Um, and, and now, obviously, he moved on to Florida Atlantic. Did a great job there two out of those three years. Now he takes the old Miss job. You know, Lane Kiffin is just not my cup of tea, Ed. He's a great offensive coordinator. I would love to have him as an offensive coordinator. He's brash. You know, he's cocky. I like that. But not in my head coach. And I think he's going to have moderate success at the SEC level. I just, not my cup of tea. This is not the direction that I would have gone in if I were old Miss. I know that you probably feel differently. Yeah, I mean, I I think he's you know he's done well. I mean, he has a track record of success. I mean, it's not it's not like he hasn't succeeded in certain places. And he 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 you know in his kind of prove it job with Florida Atlantic, he he did what he was supposed to do. And so um, you know, I I think this is the right job for him. I I think you know I, I I mean I thought he would be a favorite for the FSU job, but I think this is a better fit for him. At this point in his career. See, I think Florida Atlantic job is probably where Lane Kiffin should have stayed. Because at Tennessee, he went 7-6. and six. Then he moved on to USC. He failed there. 
USC had huge aspirations. He didn't deliver. There was only one season where he went 10-2. and two. Otherwise, I mean, he fell short. With the Oakland Raiders, he didn't do a good job there. Obviously, not a lot of people could have done a great job with Al Davis leading the charge. But still, he, he didn't. So I would say that Lane Kiffin is an average head coach. A very good offensive coordinator, but an average head coach when you look at it. And that's what it comes down to. Obviously, he's going to bring excitement to Old Miss. He's going to bring in some recruits, and he's going to bring in an offensive approach there uh, to that program. But I just, I'm not a big fan of Lane Kiffin as as my head coach. And, and Old Miss shouldn't be that excited. I, I don't think he's going to bring a winning program consistently uh, year in and, and year out. By the way, uh, a very shocking news came down from the Pac-12 from the Washington Huskies. Chris Peterson, a head coach, stepped down. Uh, will take on a leadership role at the school. Defensive coordinator Jimmy Lake will take over. I, I didn't see this coming. There, there has to be something more to it. I just don't know what it is. But it seems like Chris Peterson decided to take a leave. And um, I don't know if he's going to reemerge in some other place. I don't, it does, doesn't look like a firing. This, doesn't, this looks like a guy stepping down for some reason. But I don't think it's a performance issue here. I'm sure Washington would have loved to retain Chris Peterson. This is some kind of a personal issue, I'm sure. Yeah, there's definitely something here that we're just not. This is not reported by the media. Um, you know, I I do think I do think Washington had a disappointing year this year, and um, you know that 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 probably figures into the into the decision for him to step down. Um, I don't. I don't know if it, if it was necessarily that he was forced out, but um, you know, maybe maybe it might be right for Washington to go with some new blood because I mean, Washington is supposed to be one of the elite in the Pac-12. Well, we'll find out. Um, let's move on to our scouting report. Said, let's start with a defensive player. We usually start with an offensive player, but decided to focus on a guy that's going to be at the Senior Bowl. He's a defensive end, edge rusher, Bradley Anne from Utah. Let's talk about him. Let's talk about his uh, strengths and weaknesses. Well, I think he's, I think he's, uh, you know, definitely a prototypical three-four outside linebacker. I think that's where he he fits best. And I think the other thing to think about him is, I think he's a speed rusher. Um, I think he's definitely a speed rusher. Um, I, I, my worry about him is, is that he gets dominated by blockers in the run game. Um, I think that's a that's a huge issue, and I think he needs to get stronger. I think he I think he gets dominated, and I think he needs to get stronger. I think I think a little bit more power will help his game. Interesting, uh, interesting that you say that. You know, there's one thing that I always focus on on with defensive ends, edge rushers. I want to see if they have a quick first step, and Bradley has a very quick first step when he is on and I think there was one game this year it was against BYU when he was just he was getting into the backfield before the left tackle was was setting up and I saw it against USC as well against Austin Jackson a couple of times he used a spin move you know he he's got some tools to work with I just I wish he was a little more active with his hands that he would be able to use those hands to disengage from those big offensive tackles a little bit quicker he doesn't seem to do that so his hand usage is something that he needs to improve on 
And another thing is improving his pass, pass rush repertoire moves because he is a speed rusher. He uses a spin move that he's used during his senior year, but I don't see much else out there. But I love his motor. His motor is nonstop, and I, I love to see that it would, with defensive linemen. I love to see guys that are always flying around and, and, and trying to make every play on the football field. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's there's things I I, I guess I have a lot of uh, I'm I guess I'm not as high on him as you are. Um, I think he I think he needs to get off blocks better. I think he needs a better rip move. Um, I think he I, I don't think he can hold the point of attack. I think he can hand fight a little bit better. So I mean, I just I see a lot of weaknesses in his game. I don't I don't know if he's really the guy I would draft. Um, you know, I don't know if I don't know if it, it, it's someone I I really like that much. See, I don't think he is going to be a guy that will test well at the scouting combine, and I don't think he is an out of this world athlete. I think he's a good athlete, and I think if you if you say that I would prefer to move him as a three four outside linebacker, and he's probably about six two and a half, you know, two fifty five, two sixty, obviously. He fits that frame of uh, three, four outside linebacker. He needs to test well if he wants to go high. But I see a guy that's probably, he's going to be at the senior bowl. We'll see how he does. I think he's going to do all right in those one-on-one drills. But I think he's more, to me, he looks like a third rounder. Yeah, I, I think a third rounder. I'm just saying if I'm an NFL GM and he's there in the third round, I don't think I'd take him. Okay, interesting, interesting take. Let's move on to the offensive side of the ball, and let's focus on the left tackle from Alabama. He was a five-star recruit coming out of Florida, a big-time prospect. All the schools were after him. As a freshman, he was he played a little bit sparingly. As a sophomore, he played right guard. And as a junior, he got moved to left tackle. It's Alex Leatherwood, Ed. Obviously, a lot of focus has been on on his partner at right tackle, but Alex Leatherwood is the left tackle at Alabama, so let's focus on him this week. So let's talk about his uh, strengths and weaknesses. Well, I think I think he's uh, I think he's definitely a guard. I think that's I think that's really what how we have to talk about him. I think he has good run blocking skills. I think he's a good pass blocker from the inside. Um, I think he's a guy who can absorb the bull rush, and I think he has a good frame. Um, you know, this is definitely a guy you can take in the first or second round. Um, but you, you, I just, I just, if I'm a GM, I, I, I don't, I don't see him as a left tackle. And the reason I don't see him as a left tackle is I just, I don't think he has the kick slider, the lateral movement, or really just the ability to move to really be a tackle in the league. He's really inconsistent, Ed. I mean, from play to play, from game to game. I think I scouted about five of his games, and I would just say that one. there's one play that he looks like a first-round pick. There's another play that he looks like an undrafted free agent because he is miscast as a left tackle, and I don't think he's going to play right tackle at the next level as well. He's just a guy that's probably best, like you mentioned, as a guard in the box where he's protected. Because I don't think his pass protection skills are all that great. He's just, he's athletic, but his, like you mentioned, his lateral movement, he is, you know, he's just, he's got to move those feet 
Sometimes he gets lazy with those feet and the speed rusher just beats him off the edge. There are a lot of times that he just lunges. He loses his balance. His hand placement is probably my major issue with him because he struggles to reset. He, he struggles with, with getting that, that first punch on, on a defensive lineman in order to disengage him and, and pass pro. As a run blocker, I don't have a problem with him. He gets movement in the run game. He's just he struggles in in pass protection. And this, I would to be honest with you, I mean, I would worry with even with him playing inside as a guard, where the game is not as quick. Obviously, he's going to play a guard, right? Uh, he's not going to go against you know more athletic, freakish speed rushers off the edge. He's going to go against the big defensive tackles. But I'm actually worried about him in pass protection, even as a guard, where you would project him at the next level. I mean, I think that his weaker suit as a guard would be in pass protection. But I, I, I actually, I think he, I think he could be a very good uh, guard in the NFL. I think, I think he's the type of guy that you could draft in like the second round. And we've seen a lot of second round guys become starters as guards. So I think that's really, I think that's really where he fits into the NFL. Alex Leatherwood is definitely an interesting case, and I would actually tell him to go back. I wouldn't enter the 2020 NFL draft. He's got a lot of things to work on. I just hope he returns for his senior year because he's got some things to clean up on. Uh, This was Blitzcast number 86. I'm Alex. He's Ed. Thank you for listening. We'll come back next week. Take care.